with me and let's read verses 20 and 21. Just before Psalms is the book of Job. Job chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. We'll read together aloud. Let's begin. And said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb. Say it with me, keep going. And naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. All right, before we pray, I just want you to ponder and say, so when, when, when Job tried to understand God, and he couldn't, he didn't misunderstand him. He didn't apply to God a wrong idea, like, God, you're cruel. That would be wrong. Um, God, you're unfair. That would be wrong. All right? He never blamed God. He never twisted it and said, God, you know, you're doing me wrong. This is not fair, so on and so forth. He um, uh, he never charged God foolishly because he had a right view of God. He had a good understanding of God, and we need that because it will help you go through the dark times. Father, bless again as we open your word. Please open our eyes and especially our hearts tonight. Some great truths about you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. All right, we're... 2,000 years before Jesus, which would be how long from from now going back? How far back are we going to the book of Job? 4,000 years, okay? So we're going back to the oldest book in your Bible, and it's at a time when phrase, modern phrases, all hell broke loose in the life of a good man named Job. It's not a bad man. Don't, don't we sometimes secretly wish that terrible things would happen to bad people? But terrible things happen to godly people and people who are trying their best to do right. It happens to even us sometimes. Now, it happened in the land of Uz. You know, there's a uh, uh, there's a story that became a movie called The Wizard of Oz. And you wonder if some of them picked up some of these names from the Bible. I think all great things come out of the Bible. But this is the land of Uz. And it's in what we call modern Iraq, near uh, the Euphrates River, where the land of Uz was. It was a very fertile land. He was a very wealthy man, very successful man of the day. This entire book, 42 chapters, was written about his experience. Yes, we can learn a lot about Job. We can see Job and his friends just going at it, uh, trying to trying to understand why did this happen to him. And his place in the Bible uh, by the by by the Jewish people um, for for our benefit. This is this is a uh, part of the scriptures. Just by a miracle of God to to not make the Christian life imbalanced, where we think, oh, it's all you know. Uh, Christian life is all wonderful and all, no problems at all. No, the Christian life is sometimes going through the valley of the shadow of death. And it is an amazing, one of the masterpieces of literature of all times. And the great thing about the book of Job is it doesn't just tell us about Job. It tells us about God. Because what we need to understand is what is God like? When you go up to the, uh, uh, to the back garden and you look up at the sky, you go into the a field somewhere and all the, the city lights are at a distance and you look at that clear sky and you say, the God who made this, I wonder what he's like. Well, that's a good question to start at. And so when we, when we look at Job chapter one, there's four or five things that jump out at you. One, you see Job and his family. How many remember how many children he has? Raise your hand. How many children does Job have? He and his wife. He has ten children, okay? Seven boys and three girls. And uh, he's got a he's got a godly wife who is stuck with him through thick and thin. They have a um, uh, he is um, uh, going along in his life. He's very successful. 
um, his family, is they, they don't all live at home. They've all moved on. Uh, they live in their own houses. and Everything's going honky-dory. Then we shift to a scene in heaven where God shows off and talks about Job's character and his integrity. And Satan challenges him and says, why don't you do something, God, and see if he still will honor you and praise you. And God gives him liberty to go ahead, Job, uh, devil, you go ahead and uh, make his life miserable. Just don't take his life from him. And he's trying to get Job to curse God. Now, if there's anything the devil would love is to get you to get mad at God. He'd love to get you so that you get out of the will of God, so that you get out of the mind of Christ and you go into the devil's territory. So then it, we find out as Job loses everything, and he absolutely loses everything. I've never lost everything. Uh, you know, we all lose things. But I'm talking about where we lose the job or we lose our health for a bit or things. But Job absolutely lost everything. And um, we still, in the midst of all that, we hear Job say, Naked came out, came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord, he has taken it away. Still, blessed be the name of the Lord. So this is an amazing, amazing man. But there's more than just going on than Job. Because God's at work. So, when we started this thing and we looked through verse by verse in the book of Job, we saw that God is absolutely perfect. His way is perfect. He cannot fail. He cannot do wrong. He can't make a mistake. So we learned that God is absolutely perfect. Secondly, we learned that God is upright. God is nothing to be ashamed of. God is nothing to be embarrassed of, like maybe we do from time to time. God is terrifying. Some people want to bring God down to the level of just a, just you know, the old man upstairs. Um, you know, uh, they 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 kind of have Jesus in their back pocket and God, you know, in his little corner, and they think everything's just fine. No, God is terrifying. You don't cross God. He is to be feared throughout your Bible. What is the beginning of wisdom? The fear of the Lord. If anybody wants to really uh, you know, mature. You never have the attitude of, you know, me and God are buddies. Uh, be careful. God is God and you're nothing. And by faith, you have been allowed to access Him and been received like your family, but it's still, you're nothing. And it is amazing. God is somebody to be feared. Should a Christian live any way they want without any fear of consequences? Not at all. All right, um, we will not be condemned for our sin, but we will face the judgment seat of Christ, and we will have to give an answer. And in this life, we will suffer consequences for our choices. Never can you think, "Well, you know, I'm I can live any way I want." No, you can't, because God is in charge, not you. So, number four, God is holy. These are all attributes and characteristics of God. Number five, God is the giver of everything we have, both good and bad. So all of the things that Job had in his life, his children, his wife, his wealth, his lands, his cattle, everything, was a gift from God. And when God took it all away, that was also given to him by God. The Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. So God is the giver of everything we have, even the bad days. Can you say that? Can you say that God is even the giver of your bad days? And if that's true, then they're not so bad. Number six, we ended with this thought last week, that God can see the thoughts and the intents of our heart. Look in Job chapter 1 and verse 5. 
It says, It was so that when the days of his son's feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their what? So he was worried that they were, they were thinking they could live without God. They were, they were, he was afraid that they weren't honoring God in their heart. On the outward, they could be very compliant. They could be very sweet. Yes, Daddy. Oh, yes, we worship God, Daddy. But in their heart of hearts, they're like, I don't believe at all. And he was terrified because he knew God sees our hearts. Now, tonight we're going to go through and we're going to continue on some things. We're going to pick up in verse 6. I'll show you something about God. It says, There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. Do you think that Job saw this? Yes or no? Did Job see the devil go up and talk to God? Because there is another realm where God exists. We're in our little realm. God exists separately from his creation. Uh, this is a great revelation. Because uh, uh, there is a, 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 another world existing right now in the same space that we are living, where there are angels, where the devil moves around, and where, where, where God and um, the Holy Spirit and everything is, is just as real as this is. We just don't see them. Um, when um, in, in uh, <clears throat> Second Kings chapter 6, You've got a, a prophet named Elisha. And Elisha is sort of sleeping out in the, on the roof of the, maybe the little inn that they were staying at. And an army of the Syrians had, had gathered around the place where, uh, the city where Elisha was. They were going to try to capture Elisha. And one of the servants of Elisha came up and says, how shall we do? We're going to die. Look at the army. And Elisha, without even opening his eyes, he says, Lord, Open his eyes and show him what's really out there. And at that moment, God opened his eyes, and behind the army was what? Anybody remember? There were angels. There was another army behind the army of the Syrians. And so Elisha was able to be at rest because he was safe. There was a bigger army that just wasn't visible to the servant or to the army of the Syrians. So I want you to show you, if you will, go to Acts chapter 17 and verse 24. I'll show you that God exists separate from creation. And that's, that's unlike what most religions believe. Hinduism, in Hinduism, the universe is, to be, uh, is, is considered to be part of God. The trees, the rocks, this entire universe is part of God. Hmm. No. Acts chapter 17, verse 24. Let me get over there myself. 17, 24 says this, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not here in temples made with hands. So you can't go and genuflect to a God in a box on a wall in a church or a temple. Because he's not in there. Neither is he worshipped with men's hands. You can't bring him food like they do in a lot of other religions and cultures. As though he needeth anything, seeing he giveth, he's the author of life and breath and all things. 
and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. So he says, he's created everything and put us here, verse 27, that they, the whole world, should seek the Lord. If happily they might find him, feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As certain also of your own prophets have said, poets have said, we, for we are also his offspring. So at the end of there, we are in him. This universe is in him. This universe is not him. This universe is like a bubble inside God. That's how big God is. So God is outside of this universe. He doesn't need this universe. We, we need God. And he is distinct from his creation. Um, now, I'm glad that he can interact with us. I'm glad that every once in a while he steps into our universe. I mean, he became a man and he walked among us. But this, this world is not God. This world is not part of God. One of these days, this entire universe will be done away with. God will remain the same. So, when we look at Job and we see God and the devil and angels and things, we're looking in another dimension that exists separate than us. Um, next point, number eight. Look there in verse eight. We'll start in verse seven. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Where'd you come from? And then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Um, here, I want you to notice that God notices us. He notices what we do. So here's the devil, and uh, he, he says, the Lord says to the Satan, he says, where you been? And he says, I've been everywhere. And the Lord says, okay, did you notice my servant Job? And that's an important thing. Sometimes you think God doesn't notice you, doesn't know what you're going through, doesn't notice when you do the little things. They have nobody notices. I don't know if anybody noticed, but Mona dropped by the house yesterday and brought some flowers. Now, you wouldn't know who brought these flowers, and you may not even notice the flowers. But I am very grateful that Mona wanted to bring some flowers for uh, uh, Easter Sunday, you know. But even if I didn't know where they came from, even if you never found out where they came from, God noticed who brought them. And God notices when you do things, when you go around and you pick up hymnals, when you go be a blessing to somebody, when you shake somebody's hand and you look them in the eye and you say, you're a blessing. Those little things that nobody else notices, God says to the devil, he says, did you notice that? Did you notice that? God notices us. Now that's both wonderful and terrifying at the same time, isn't it? He notices what we do. So make sure it's good, amen? <laughs> so God is omniscient. That's one of those wonderful words which means what? Omni, all, science, all-knowing. He knows. Now, he's like a father who cares what we go through, how we feel, what we think. He sees what no one else sees. You know, when I, when I step into a situation and I see, here's, let's just pretend that, that Brandon uh, here and uh, Connor are, are 
fighting and they're on the ground and they're scuffling. And I jump in there and I say, what's going on? And they start, he said this and she said I don't know what went on. I don't know the whole circumstance, do I? But God knows and when you're crying out saying, God, I'm going through this thing, he knows the whole story. Thank God. He is omniscient. So when you're going through your valley, your trial, like Job was, realize God saw you when it all started and he can see the end and he'll get you through. There's some great things knowing that God knows everything. And I thought about this. There are some times when you pray, you ever prayed and you know nobody else can hear you? You whisper a prayer and you cry out to God from your heart and nobody hears you? God hears. God knows. God notices. And that is amazing. When we look at Job, you can see God noticed Job. Now, the devil, I'm glad God didn't let him talk because the devil could have said, yeah, but did you see so-and-so? He's really wicked. (laughs) God noticed Job, and that's very encouraging. Third, look there. I want you to see verse 6 again. Go back to verse 6. It says this, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? And then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and from, so to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? So when he asked this question, I want you to see that God loves to show off our faith and our commitment, even though it may be flawed. So there must be some discussions that go on between God and the devil over us. Wouldn't it be nice if the Lord got the opportunity to say, have you seen my servant Craig? What's going to be the next sentence after that? (laughs) Wow. He would love to be able to say, Craig's been faithful. Devil, in spite of everything you've thrown at him, he's been faithful. You see, the Lord loves, by this discussion, we sense a desire of God to be able to point out your life and say, devil, I'm proud of so-and-so. I am am glad that so-and-so has stayed faithful. Devil, that's a mark against you. And so, because God loves to show off our faith. I can't show mine off, but God can show it off. So when Satan wants to expose all of your flaws and failures, God wants to show off our what? Our faith. Our faithfulness even. Where I can't do much, but I can stay faithful. Amen. It's priceless. Look at verse verse 6, and I'll show you something amazing here. Chapter 1 and verse 6. Now there was a day... When the sons of God came to present themselves before who? All right. The same came also with them. Now look at verse 12. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put forth not thine hand. So Satan went forth from the circle, the next three words, the presence of the Lord. So I want you to see that God has a presence you can enter into, even though you can't see him. So the devil was able to enter into God's presence. Did you know we can enter into God's presence? That is a breathtaking thing. Anyone can, I can can pray in any direction and I know I can reach God. Amen. 
There is a place in your life where God will wait for you if you will take time to say, Lord, I want to enter into your presence. God has a presence. Is God everywhere, yes or no? Yes, He is absolutely everywhere. But it is possible to get close to Him and to enter into His presence. Jesus called it a closet, didn't He? He said, when thou prayest, enter into your closet. Why? Because that can be your place where God and you meet. That is the presence of God. So when I realize that God, who is omnipresent, wants to be present just with me for that time, that changes the way that I view God. And it changes my schedule and my, my busyness. So I say, i got to make time to be just with Him, to have a time of his presence. And that will get you through some dark times. Hebrews 4.16. Let's go there real quick. Hebrews 4.16. Hebrews 4.16. The Bible says this, Let us therefore... Wow, how can you come to a throne when I can't see it? How can I look at these words? Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. Can anybody point to where that throne is right now? We can point up, that way, that way. It's not a direction. But it is the fact that there is something. As you pray, realize you can come into His presence. It says, let us come into that presence. It's called a throne of, of, of judgment. No, what's it called? Throne of grace. That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So we have been invited to enter into His presence. Because God has a presence. Did you know people can get away from the presence of God? Go to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. In verse 16. Genesis 4, 16, and Cain went out from the what? From the presence of the Lord. Those are sad words. Where did, jo sorry, where did Jonah try? What did he try to do? He tried to run away, but from the presence of the Lord. You know, it's a terrifying thought that you would want to get away from God. People can get away from His presence. Thankfully, if you're saved, He ain't going to let you. <laughs> he will haunt you. He will bring you back. He will make your life miserable until you do come back. But you can get to where He's not close to you. He's gone quiet. He's been grieved. The Holy Spirit has been quenched. <clears throat> Don't allow yourself to get to that place. Another thing we learn from the book of Job here in chapter 1, we'll find out that God is constantly mocked by Satan. Look there in verse, um, verse 9. Job 1, 9, Then Satan answered the Lord back. Again, the Lord just bragged on Job. And Satan says this, Doth, God, doth Job fear God for naught, for nothing? There's a reason why He praises you. There's a reason why He's so close to you, God. And when the devil speaks, I don't know of him ever 
not speaking with a mocking tone. Remember when Jesus was in the wilderness and he had fasted for 40 days and the devil came up and said, if you are the Son of God. Man, that's, that's the devil. He mocks everything about God and about Jesus and about you. And if he can belittle you and criticize you, and believe me, he can do it. When he comes up to God, he has the audacity to even try to mock God. So he says, you bought Job. Which is not true. Um, Revelation chapter 12. Revelation 12.10. What is Satan? Satan's got about a dozen, or maybe 13, names in the Bible. You might remember another name for Satan? Beelzebub, Lord of the Flies. What else? The serpent. I can't hear. The accuser of the brethren, which is where we're going to go now. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10. Revelation 12, 10. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ for the accuser of our brethren is cast down which accused them before our God. How often? I tell you what, if I were God, I couldn't have taken that. But the accuser of the brethren mocked our lives and can he mock our lives? He sure can because we've got very little to show for it. But he mocks God. And uh, by the way, go to John 10. Gospel of John chapter 10. What does 1 Peter 5, 8 say? Be sober. Be vigilant. For your adversary the devil walketh about seeking whom he may. He's just waiting for you to not be close to God. Waiting for you to get upset and get your eyes off of Jesus and get your eyes on your problems and get your eyes on you so that you're not looking for the devil to come at you, so that he can come and devour you. John chapter 10 and verse 10. John 10, 10. The thief cometh not, but for to steal. He's a thief. He wants to rob you of everything that God gives you. And to kill. He doesn't just want to kill. He wants to destroy your life. Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. Satan has the power to destroy lives, even Christian lives. So if there's any way, listen, let me tell you how the devil mocks God the most. By ruining your life. Because Jesus gave you life, he gave you eternal life, he gave you joy, he gave you peace, and if you will throw that away, it just gives the, the devil his joy to be able to say, ha, 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 see, he's no longer with you. So it is always a battle between Satan and God for Satan to demean God's work in our lives. So don't give him the time of day. Now, that's easier said than done. But take it seriously that, you know, my life matters in eternity. How I live and how I choose and how I respond gives the devil opportunity to mock God, and I don't want to give him that opportunity. Is anybody, are you with me? Does this make sense? So God, thankfully, I want to show you something. Look in verse 10. God places walls of protection around his people. They're not permanent, 
but they are always present. Back there in Job chapter 1, verse 9, Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear for God for naught? Hast thou not made a hedge about him? Now, what are hedges? Now, we know about them here in Ireland because everywhere is a hedge. But a hedge can be stone. Sometimes it can be a bush. But it is a dividing line, but it is a wall. All right? In here, Satan says, You've put a hedge about him and about his house. You've put protection around all that he hath on every side. Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. Now, there's some good news. God does do that for us. You have no idea how often the devil would have liked to have left you on the side of the road dying and dead. And it's not but for the grace of God that you're alive still today. Amen. And there's only one reason why you're still breathing, still living, still here, is because God has a hedge around you. God does protect us, and we take it for granted. So, Psalm 34. You're in Job. Go to the next book right after. Psalm 34, verse 7. Psalm 34 and verse 7, the Bible says, The angel of the Lord, just one angel, <laughs> that's all you need. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth him. You, I, you never, anybody ever tells you, you need to talk to your guardian angel, slap them. <laughs> you do not need to try to talk to an angel. If you ever do meet an angel, you will never know it because they always are unaware to us. But there are angels, there are people in your life that aren't people. I'm not talking about, you know, I'm just talking about people you meet and they, they encourage you and then you never see them again. Uh, there are things that happen in your life. You, you, you're, you're getting ready to go into the car and then something happens. You have to go back in the house and then the car won't start and the Lord's protecting you from something down the road. You have no idea how much the Lord is at work putting a hedge protection around us. Hebrews 1 Hebrews 1 and verse 13. Hebrews 1 verse 13. Hebrews 1 13 says, But to which of the angels said God at any time, sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? God never talked to an angel like that. He talked to his son that way. Verse 14 tells you what angels are for. Are they not all ministering spirits? What's a minister? A servant. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to serve, minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? So I'm telling you, you know, you think nobody cares, you think nobody's helping you. God is always protecting you, helping you, and you don't know. Show you another thing here. Look in verse 13. An attribute of God is He has absolute power over Satan. Back there in Job chapter 1, verse 12. What does Somebody tell me, what does Satan want to do to Job? Tell me what he wants to do. We read it in John 10, 10. Tell me. He wants to rob, steal, kill, and destroy. Okay, so you get this picture. Why can't he do that? Is Satan powerful, yes or no? He is the second most powerful being in the universe. 
So when we come to a verse like verse 12, I want you to see something. Verse 11, Satan says, Put forth thine hand, God. You touch him, God. Touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And God says, I'm not going to do that. I don't, I don't do that. Verse 12, And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, I'll give you a little bit of leash. And all that he hath is now in thy power, only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. I want you to understand that God has absolute power over Satan. And you need to say amen to that. Amen. You need to realize that Satan has a lot of power. According to John chapter 12, he is the ruler of this world. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says he's the God of this world. Ephesians 2.2 2 says he's the prince of the power of the air. Ephesians 6.12 says he's one of the rulers of the darkness of this world. So in all actuality, we should have nothing to do with him. We just need to um, go to, um, is it James? Go to James. James chapter 4. Yes. <clears throat> James chapter 4. Who's ever got it, stand and read it. Who's got it? James 4, verse 7. Go ahead there, Nathaniel. Real loud. All right. Two steps. What's the first step? Okay. Then I'll be able to do what? Okay. What if I try to resist temptation, resist the onslaught of satanic attack? What if I try to do that and I'm out of the will of God? I'm in rebellion against God. I'm in rebellion against God's authorities in my life. I'm not reading my Bible. I'm not walking with God. And yet I'm trying to resist the devil. Will I win? I will fail. <laughs> so God doesn't say, this is how you defeat the devil. Does he ever tell us how to do it? No. He says, get as close as you can to God. Then you can go boo and he will run. Amen? All right. Uh, back to Job. Verse 11. God, verse number 14 here, God can in an instant this shows the rightness of God. And it's His rightness. I may not agree with what He does because I don't understand it. But He can in an instant take everything away. Look in verse 11, Job 1.11. Here Satan says, Put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath and he will curse thee to thy face. Now look in verse 13. It was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking in their eldest brother's house. There came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them and the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword and I only am escaped to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven and hath burned up the sheep and the, servants and the servants and consumed them, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. And while he was yet speaking, there came a fourth one 
and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking and wine in their elder brother's house. Behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young men and they are dead and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Now, this is the hardest part of the attributes of God and that is that God takes, in an instant, can take away. Now, who actually did the taking away? Satan did. But Job knows that it was not Satan that was responsible for Job losing everything. Who does he know was responsible and was in charge? God. Look in verse 20 and 21. Because it's then Job arose, rent his mantle, shaved his head, fell down upon the ground and worshipped. So he's not mad. He's sad, but he's still worshipping. And he said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb. I had nothing when I was born. And naked, empty, shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the devil hath taken away. Right? It's not what it says. What does Job know that he knows that he knows? It's of God's will. It may have been the devil. It may have been your, your, it may have been your husband. It may have been your, your, your mom. It may have been your... Your, your uncle, it may have been your neighbor who did you wrong. But in the end, it's God who's in charge. And if you say, well, I don't understand it, welcome to the club. Because the last point is the most important. He knows what he's doing. Look in verse 21. Naked came I out of my mother's womb. Naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Still, blessed be the name of the Lord. Go to chapter 2 and verse 10. After Job's wife wants to just curse God and die, verse 10, he, Job, says back to her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women. What was, what was a fool, according to the Bible? What was a foolish person? He didn't believe in God. The fool says in his heart, and he's talking to his wife saying, You're talking like an unbeliever. You're talking like somebody who doesn't even believe in God. What shall we... Shall we receive good at the hand of God and shall we not receive evil? In this did not Job sin with his lips. So sometimes the hand of God, knowing what he's doing, brings trouble into our life. Job would have been tempted like you and me to have blamed and cursed God, to accuse God of being wrong by bringing this into his life. I have to say... You know, I probably would have failed in the first 50 seconds of Job's encounter with trouble. Job is, was somebody that God could trust, that he could pour all of this on, allowing the devil just to destroy everything for my benefit. Amen? So when God allows you to go through something, and when God even designs things to just collapse around you, when you're trying to do everything right, realize God knows what he's doing. And there may be somebody who wants, take your Bible, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, that God wants you to help because you've been through something. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 1. i got a question for you. Let's see. Let me ask. Paul, 
after, the, after Job is done and dusted, after chapter 42 finishes, and Job's got ten new kids, same old wife, but ten new kids, amen? <laughs> and he's got twice the wealth, everything is awesome. Do you think going through all of that heartache, do you think he could be an encouragement to somebody else going through a dark valley now? Definitely. Let's go to um, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be God. Isn't that how Job talked? Even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of how much comfort? Alright, when will you know comfort? When you've needed it. Verse 4. Who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we, why does He, allow us to go through a trial, why does He then comfort us in our trial? Because He would like us to be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the same comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound where? In us. So our consolation also aboundeth by the very same Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it's for your comfort, your consolation and salvation, which is effectual. It is, it is powerful in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. Now what's he saying? Very simple. You read of old-time missionaries, you read of old-time Christians who basically suffered immeasurably, uh, impossibly. Amy Carmichael. Who was the woman that you were reading about? Sessler? What's her name? Mary Sessler? Is that her name? Slesser. Yes. You read about Ananiah Judson. Seven years he was in a hole um, uh, as a prisoner of, of the um, uh, Burmese government as if he was a spy. Um, he lost four children, if I'm not correct, uh, and his first wife to disease, um, and, and the deaths were horrible. Um, uh, you read these things and you go, what good is that? It encourages me. It comforts me because through it all, they got a hold of God and God helped them and God used them to bring more missionaries over to Burma and to India uh, and to the, the Far East where and even to Saudi Arabia, to places where people... Six weeks after they started preaching, they were killed. And the God of all comfort, when He comforted them, and when you read of people like William Tyndale, all he did was he made the Bible in English, and they burned him at the stake. And when, when they gathered around him and they said, do you have anything else to say? He said, God, open the eyes of the king! And they choked him to death before they burned him to death. And you go, wow, why did God allow that? so that I'd be stronger in my faith, so I wouldn't be a wimp, so that I would man up to being a Christian, no matter how hard it would be, and to find comfort in that. Actually find the grace that is available through that dark time. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 is brilliant that when you're going through a trial and no one's able to help you, God will comfort you so that you can help someone else. So, you say, but I don't understand. Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. We'll finish this up. I still don't understand why God allows me to hurt. Why God 
gives me trouble. <laughs> Acts chapter 15 and verse 18. Known unto God and only unto Him are all His works from the beginning of the world. You know, you know there's no way for you to know it and understand it, so you just got to realize God knows what He's doing. And if you can arrive there in your prayer life and in your worship, you're on the road to being able to handle your trial and your struggle. So, let's finish up here. This is just chapter 1. Honestly, there's a ton more to see in this chapter. But the goal is to trust God. The goal is to know the God of Job. Now, it reveals three things. Number one, it reveals just how ignorant we really are of God. We never think of these things. We just wonder, God, where are you? Forgetting. He's right there. He never left. Secondly, as we go through each one of these chapters, we're going to learn that we are so wrong about God. We have the, we have the wrong, twisted ideas about God, and we're going to hear his friends give popular ideas of what God is like and why trouble happens. And then we're going to learn what God is really like, which is better than anyone could have imagined. God is so much greater, so much better than we can ever imagine to be, because God is God. So the, the, the goal is for us to, whatever we find out that I had the wrong idea of God, God, I'm sorry. I now know you for who you are. And I worship you as you are. And that'll be a life-changing experience. Let's pray. Father, we bow before you, thanking you for the book of Job and for the challenge these evenings to see through the eyes of of Job's sorrow, who you really are. In one of the classrooms, in one of the classes, in ways that you teach about who you are is in the class of suffering. We're too prone to only want to think that we understand you when nothing's going wrong, but we don't understand you when nothing's going wrong. We only learn of you when we have nothing else and when our senses are sharpened to cling just to you. So Lord, when we go through a sorrow and our heart is broken and our lives are a mess and nothing's working, oh dear God, please, may we cling to this book of books, especially the book of Job, and say, God, in my sorrow, teach me about you and let me be changed. Let me somehow be able to bless your name and worship you anyway because you're worthy. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.